Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. i got a good show for you this week. The winter meetings wrapped up in San Diego last week. A lot of stuff happened. A lot of the big free agents are off the board. I think it's a good time to have a baseball chat. I'll be joined by Bronx to Bushville's Dan Federico to recap the winter meetings, talk about what happened with some of the big names, Garrett Cole going to the Yankees, Steven Strasburg staying put, Anthony Rendon moving on. A lot of stuff happened. We'll touch base with Dan on everything. Showing the money also back for NFL picks for week 16. I'll be joined by Steeler fan Alex Fasano, also a noted fantasy football guy. We'll talk about that. Make some picks coming up in just a bit. Be sure you're locked in until the end of the show, where I'll be joined by our legal analyst, Phil Frietta. We will recap some of the latest in the negotiations between the MLB and minor league baseball in terms of the new negotiations for a, prof- a agreement between the two sides. They've been getting dicey. There's talks of contracting teams. There's talks of MLB cutting off MILB entirely. We'll go through all that with Phil as well, but we'll get all started this week's opening tip where we take a look at the latest Patriots cheating scandal and what should be done here right after this. So Bengal security immediately brought over NFL security and that was immediately given to the league office and as a result, yes, they are launching a big investigation. Uh, this week at the league meetings, Commissioner Goodell and Troy Vincent both addressed it. Obviously, intent is huge. Yeah. Who did it go to? And that's one of the things we're trying to figure out. Was this all the way to Bill Belichick, or did Bill Belichick have nothing to do with this hands washed? But the investigation, I'm told, is not going to go on very long. They want to act very swiftly here. Reg- all right, we are back with this week's opening tip. You guys heard Fox Sports' Jay Glazer setting up the latest in the Newest controversy surrounding the New England Patriots, who have a history of cheating and bending the rules to their benefit. Remember Spygate back in 2007. Remember Deflategate a few years ago that cost Tom Brady four games in the 2016 season. Remember as well the alleged time they videotaped the walkthrough of the Rams prior to the Super, first Super Bowl they won. Newest controversies emerged because while... The Patriots are getting ready for Cincinnati. They sent an advanced scout to Cincinnati to take a look at the Bengals, which is proper protocol in the league. They also sent a film crew to document this advanced scout as part of a web series they do on their website called Do Your Job. But the crew that was there was not just filming the advanced scout. They were getting video of the Bengals' sideline and substitution patterns. And that has led to a whole uproar. And Fox on... Sunday in their pregame show, thanks to Jake Laser, they got a video that was taken by Bengal security officials of eight minutes showing the Pats crew basically filming the sidelines, the huddles, the substitutions, trying to gain, uh, and that's stuff that could be used to gain an edge in a football game's prep. Let's listen to a little bit of this exchange from the video, so let's check it out now. Right now, we have exclusive footage of this confrontation. And you see right here, the Bengals, their security guys, actually filming what the Patriots are filming. And that was their sideline, their substitution. There's actually eight minutes of this on the tape. But this is where things take a turn for the Patriots. And this is a piece you're filming on your advanced scout? Yeah. Yeah. Come on, guys. I don't see the advanced scout in this footage. No, it's not. We were trying to get some field perspective. It's my bad. That's not the field. I believe that. That's why you would think you could take that. I didn't know. I didn't didn't know. But I can delete this right here for you. Damage is done, my friend. No, it isn't, because we deleted it. Once again, it's deleted. It's gone. 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 It's let me just start right there. The idea that this guy did not know what he's doing, did not know that he couldn't shoot that, is absurd. I mean, 
I have somebody who have worked on the field level of games for NCAA stuff. You are told explicitly what you can and cannot shoot. The fact that this guy did not know he couldn't shoot the Bengals sideline and the Bengals huddle and the substitution patterns is a load of garbage. We're not talking about a wide-angle shot of the field just to give perspective here. He was zoomed in on the sideline and zoomed in on players coming in and out. That's information that can be used to get an advantage for the coaching staff because the Patriots, even though the Bengals are one have one win and 13 losses, or one in 12 losses, excuse me, I don't know what the exact record is, but they're really bad. This is a new coaching staff for them. This is the first time it's not Marvin Lewis. This is Zach Taylor's system, so they had never seen the Zach Taylor offense before. They don't know who he wants to bring in, what receivers he brings out on three wide sets, where they line up. That's information that can be gained an advantage. Now, the advanced scout is there. That's his job to write this stuff down, but having the video makes it 50 times easier. And that's a problem that the Patriots have. The Patriots do whatever they can all the time to find a way to bend the rules to their advantage. I mean, they have a guy named Ernie Adams who works for Belichick. We have no idea what his job title is. He just is basically there to help Belichick find a way to win. And that means pushing boundaries. That means doing whatever he thinks is necessary to win. And there's got to be a line drawn here. This is not the first time offender here. The Pats suspended the videographer because obviously they had to do something. But it's hard to believe that this guy acted on his own without any sort of direction from the organization or the, the coaching staff. The Pats are swearing up and down Belichick didn't know, but... The league needs to come down hard on this kind of nonsense because this is, again, the Patriots trying to do something to gain advantage that other teams are not doing. And this is not the first time. We have seen Spygate. We've seen them doctoring footballs in the Flategate. Send a message to this organization that this is not acceptable behavior. And whether it's suspending Belichick for a game whether it's giving them a massive fine, where it's taking draft picks away again, you got to do something to send this message home and say, you know what, we are not tolerating this. A slap on the wrist won't work. It just won't because they're not going to say, that's the problem. They'll say, fine, we'll pay our fine. We'll find a new way to get an edge on opponents. That has to be something to make an example of them. The the Flategate, losing Brady for four games and the massive fine that Kraft got, did nothing, apparently, to deter this franchise from trying to cheat. Something has to be done here, and it's very frustrating that, once again, the Patriots can basically do whatever they want and get very little consequences in return. It's incredibly frustrating, and I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of having to share a division with this football team that's basically getting away with murder to try and win these games, and nothing is done about it. You have documented evidence that they were cheating, again. Do something about it, NFL. You already do enough things wrong with the officials, with the dumb rules, with the PI calls. Get it right for once. But enough about the Patriots. They drive me crazy. Let's go to our winter meetings recap with Dan Federico right after this. Well, Scott Boris and his team have been very busy at the 2019 winter meetings. The notable signings just over the last few days. It started with Steven Strasburg, moved on to Garrett Cole, and then Anthony Rendon. We mentioned it earlier, $814 million combined. It's amazing to think, Meredith, that he also has Dallas Keuchel, Hyunjin Ryu, Nicholas Castellanos, that when it's all said and done after these winter meetings, he'll probably have negotiated over a billion dollars worth of contract. All right, we are back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. That call you just heard was Yes Network's Bob Lorenz talk about the frenzy of spending at the winter meetings. Join me today to talk about all of that and more is the editor of Bronx to Bushville and a guy I love talking baseball with on this podcast, Dan Federico. Dan, welcome. How are you? Hey, Mike. What's going on, man? Thanks for having me again. Not a problem. And I have to say, how surprising is it this year that the winter meetings basically turned into a free-for-all again where everything was happening, everybody was signing, money was getting thrown around left and right. It was a lot of fun again. Yeah, you know, it brings a lot of intrigue to a, to a moment that a lot of baseball fans tune into. You know, you see it. Everybody's following along on Twitter, MLB Network. ESPN actually shows some baseball coverage once in a while, so that's always a good thing. Uh, you know, so it's a lot of uh, 
a lot of good things happened during the winter meetings. Obviously, a lot of big signings, so it was definitely cool to see uh, it get featured again. Yes, this, it was. And the biggest signing of all came from the Yankees, who got their man. They got Garrett Cole for the nine-year, $324 million. What's your reaction to that deal? You know, I think it was a move that they had to make. Now, you could you could say that it was the uh, the offense that hurt them during the playoffs, and that is proven true. I mean, the bats went pretty quiet against the Astros. But when you bring in somebody like Cole, uh, he's going to transform your entire team. And you have to understand that his effect on this clubhouse is going to go beyond his actual numbers, which all things considered in the past should be awesome. Now, bringing him into the rotation, that's going to bump down Severino, Tanaka, Paxton, whichever order you want to put them in. They're going to be slotted 2-3-4. So that in and of itself is going to help out the uh, rotation. And then you also have to keep in mind that you know, he, he's somebody who goes deep into games, so saving the bullpen an inning or two when you rely on them so heavily, that's something that's also going to be recognized once the playoffs come. So, you know, you could, could, you could say he had a lot of years, uh, it's a lot of money, but that's the price you pay to get an ace in his prime, and I think that's exactly what the Yankees got. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that was a move they had to make, and to, they had to make some sacrifices along the way to make room for that kind of contract, and one that was letting Didi Gregorius go. Are you surprised they let him go to the Phillies for just a one-year deal? I was very surprised uh, they didn't try harder to retain him once it came out that you know he was going to need a one-year deal to sign him. Now, I could understand if it was going to take a multi-year contract, would have had to bring him back. That That's something you could see the Yankees passing on. But you know, once, once you realize that it was only going to take a one-year deal because he wants to rehab his value, um, I thought he would have been a realistic option for the Yankees to take back. I mean, you know, he had a down year offensively and defensively. Um, you could attribute that both to Tommy John surgery rehab. Um, but he he was a great clubhouse guy. Uh, his left-handed bat really broke up the lineup, which is now an issue moving forward for this team. Um, and now they're an injury away from starting Tyler Wade or Thyro Estrada at, uh, at shortstop. So it, it really hurt the team, I think. Uh, I would have brought him back on a one-year deal, but it didn't seem like they were all that interested. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they're interested in that. I feel like they made the priority bringing back Brett Gardner instead of Didi, and he comes back on a one-year deal, an option for a second. So what do you think of the new Gardner contract? Yeah, so I mean, I think I think they probably paid a little high, you know, at what the market price could have been, but that's the price you pay for somebody who's done so much both on and off the field for this team. Um, you, you know, you saw what he did filling in. Even, even at such a high age, he could still play center field really well. Um, he still provides power. And you have to understand, now that they lost Didi and CC retired, his clubhouse presence has gone up even further. So that's somebody you want to keep in the locker room so you can kind of understand that they paid for more than just what he brings on the field. Do you think this decision to bring back Gardner instead of Didi, who came down also the fact that Aaron Hicks is going to be gone for a while, and they said, you know what, we'd rather let Glaber play short and DJ play second instead of having, uh, what's his name, like Talkman play center field? Yeah, I mean, it definitely you definitely see the rationale there. You have to understand, too, that the Yankees really love Glaber Torres at shortstop defensively. Um, he graded out really well there last year. So they, they think they're not going to miss a beat with having, uh, you know, DJ solely at second base and Glaber at shortstop. Again, to me, it comes back to last year they dealt with so many injuries. And, you know, the, the injuries happen all the time. So you have to base on the assumption that it's going to happen again. The depth is where, you know, the issues kind of lie. But right now, based off no moves they've made so far, they clearly feel comfortable with, Waiter shot as backup and uh, DJ and Torres at second and shortstop. Yeah, based on what you've been saying, I think it's, I would assume that the heavy lifting is done because they gave Cole a ton of money. They brought back Garner for center field, but like, do you think they're gonna make? Have you been hearing they're making more, plan on making more moves around the fringes, like maybe adding the bullpen or maybe getting another depth guy for the infield, something like that? Yeah. So when when I look at the roster, you know, you, you, they lost Austin Romine, so they'll be in the market for a uh, backup catcher now. Whether that's somebody like Martin Maldonado, who Garrett Cole had a fantastic battery relationship with him last year. Uh, Maldonado uh, caught 10 of Cole's starts, uh, pitched to a 1.57 ERA, so clearly there's success there. But they also really love Kyle Higashioka, who is out of options, so if they don't keep him, he's going to be a free agent. And then, you know, uh, he's a power hitter that he's flashed at in the past. Um, they love his pitch framing skills. So I think he's somebody who could just step into that role mine role naturally. Um, like we said before, with middle infields, there are options out there. I mean, you have veterans like Eric Sogard and Azrubal Cabrera who could play shortstop, second base, kind of bounce around the infield, provide some depth as, you know, a left-handed bat that can help break up the lineup. Um, there are guys who 
struggled last year who could, you know, be bounce-back candidates like Scooter Jeanette or um, Travis Shaw. So those are two guys who you keep an eye out for, both coming off down years. You could maybe bring them in on a bargain deal. Um, but moves like that, you know, maybe filling out the bullpen, Batantis is still out there, but they also have some in-house candidates as well. So, like you said, I don't see any crazy moves like a Josh Hader. I know it's been floated around, but I think he's going to cost too much for the Yankees' price tag. And, uh, and yeah, I don't think they're going to do anything crazy. It looks like what they have now is what they're going to roll into opening day with. Yeah, it does make some sense. Let's go to the Mets for a little bit because the Mets, obviously, they let Zach Wheeler go, which I have my issues with, but they follow up with not too bad a backup plan. They signed Rick Porcello to give them a reliability of innings and Michael Walker for upside. So what do you think of them two moves the Mets made? Yeah, I think both of them are high-risk, high-reward type moves. You know, Porcello's only a couple of years removed from a Cy Young season. Like you said, Michael Waga has a lot of upside. Um, it's clear that the Mets value starting pitching over pretty much anything else on their roster. You know, they went to the World Series a few years back based all around their starting pitching. Uh, they had their issues in the bullpen last year, but once again, they just went back, reinforced the rotation. I mean, this could open up a trade maybe with one of the current guys they have, like a center guard or, you know, Matt Stroman even. So I, I don't think that would be a smart move on their part only because you significantly downgrade losing any of those guys compared to bringing in Porcello or Waka. But I do think that, you know, they're sticking with their plan of prioritizing the starting rotation and using those guys as back-end pieces that can hopefully win them a few more games. Yeah, the other big Met news was not a signing. It's the fact they got a lot of money back from the Ioannis Cespedes contract. And they had to got renegotiated because he was going to lose a grieve potentially over the injury he had suffered on his ranch last year. So what do you think the Mets might do with that money that they just freed out? They got basically clear about another like 10 to $15 million onto the luxury tax. Yeah, so I, I was trying to do some research to see like exactly what money they got back. I know it was said in 2019 they actually – cut his contract to $14 million, which I guess was never reported. And then, you know, it's not sure exactly what his contract will be this year. Um, I, you know, I'm just basing this off the fact that how the Mets operate in the past, that they're a pretty frugal organization. So I'm guessing they're not going to get anything too crazy with the money they save. Um, you know, th there are a couple of bullpen arms that the Mets could definitely use that are available out there. So maybe they'll uh, use those resources for someone like that. But I wouldn't expect anything crazy for the Mets to do with that money. Yeah, so you wouldn't expect them to go, say, sign Dalbatanis or trade for like a Starling Marte with that newfound cash. So, I, you know, going to the Batanzas part, that was somebody who I was going to mention a little later. I think that, you know, I, I reported the Mets have interest in him, uh, a lot of interest. And I think that that's somebody they're pushing to sign. Um, he has a, a, a wide market. I mean, he, like Didi Gregorius, is going for the one-year rehab his value route, uh, which is smart because he missed all of last year pretty much. So I, I think – he would be a great fit for the Mets. They could definitely use somebody like him, and he, he's somebody worth the risk. So if they're going to reinvest that type of money, I think it should be in someone like Dallas Batanzas. Yeah, Batanzas, do you think coming to the Mets would not be appealing to him just because like, maybe he wants to go somewhere he has a shot at closing because the Mets have Diaz, and they make it pretty clear that Diaz is their guy? Yeah, I mean, you know what? I, I could see that. Uh, but Didi also at the same time – you know, I, I'm sorry, I said Didi. Uh, Batanzas also at the same time is – you know, he, he was never a, a, a closer in his career, and, you know, that is obviously a value. But if you look at his track record, I mean, it may have been under the radar a little bit, but he was one of the best relievers since he's been a full-time player on the Yankees roster. So whether it's as a setup man or a closer, I think he's just looking anywhere where he could rehab his value. So I, I don't think choosing one role or the other would really, you know, um, entice him as much. Yeah, so basically you're, what you're hearing about the Mets is that they might kind of fill the edges that look for a reliever, but nothing earth-shattering. Yeah, exactly. So I think I think it could be someone. I mean, bringing them to chances, don't get me wrong, that's not a, a low-level signing. That would be awesome for them. But I don't see them doing, you know, you know, Starling Marte again. That That's somebody who's interesting, but I feel like you have somebody like Brendan Nimmo on the roster already who isn't that much of a drop-off from him. So I don't think – I can't see, you know, any, any real big names with the Mets right now anyway. All right, well, maybe that'll be the Steve Cohen, Mike, but we'll get to some of the other guys who signed for big money. So what are your thoughts on Steven Strasburg's new deal at the Nationals? You know, I, I thought it was, you know, a great deal. I mean, him along with Anthony Rendon, it was like perfect storm for them. They had great regular seasons, awesome postseason, and they were in line for the payday. So, I mean, both of them got paid really well. Strasburg staying in uh, D.C., which is something they really prioritize. Uh, you know, obviously they signed him, but all along he was – their number one target above Rendon. So he was somebody who they wanted back. Um, I thought it was a great deal. Uh, keeps him there probably for the rest of his career. So uh, it's, a, it's a great move for their franchise. 
You know, you got Rendon going to the Angels, too, because obviously they went for the big pitchers. They whiffed on Garrett Cole and Strasburg. But, like, how do you think about adding him to that lineup behind Trout? You know, I, I actually love the deal for Rendon uh, and the Angels. I mean, you could say what you want about them. You know, they, they need the starting pitching, and they do. Don't get me wrong. But their offense is really turning into something special. I mean, they like you said, they obviously have Mike Trout, best player in baseball. Shohei Otani is going to be healthy next year. Andrelton Simmons is going to be looking for a rehab year. Same with Justin Upton. You know, maybe you get something out of Albert Pujols. Adding Rendon to that mix is great for them. I really, really like that signing for them. Let's go a couple other pitchers as well. A couple of big names on the move. Corey Kluber gets traded yesterday to Texas, and I feel like that's sort of like a big splash with the Rangers trying to open their new park. They didn't get Rendon, who they were in for, but that's definitely a name that'll help. Yeah, I mean, listen, Corey Kluber, another one who, like, you, you may not realize off the surface, we, we know he has one side Youngs in the past, but he's somebody who's been just a fantastic pitcher for the Indians for a long time. I thought that was an awesome move for the Rangers. Um, you know, the, the, the deal that the Indians got back to two players, a lot of people aren't happy with it. Um, I know Emmanuel Classe is somebody who is valued highly among baseball circles, so I do like that player getting him uh, back from the for the Indians, but I think they could have probably shopped him around a little more, maybe uh, had a little bidding war for him. But, I mean, I like the move for the Rangers for sure. Indians, you, you could argue they could have got something better, but they still made out pretty well in the trade. Yeah, they, they did pretty well in the trade. I mean, they could have gotten better, but you're right. We'll see about that. And the other one that came out, I think, after we talked yesterday, was Madison Bumgarner signs the Diamondbacks five years, 85 million. That came out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, that's a shocker, right? No one really thought Bumgarner was going to sign with the Diamondbacks. You know, there wasn't much connection with them until yesterday, pretty much. So uh, I guess he, he, likes to, he wants to stay in the West Coast. I know that there were always the rumors that he wanted to stay in the National League because he does like to hit. So that was something that he prioritized. Um his contract was a good contract. I know a lot of people were saying that he could have hit over $100 million, which obviously he didn't get. But, uh, yeah, definitely a surprise. But give credit to the Diamondbacks for going for it. I think that might be the best deal of the offseason. I mean, in a winter where Zach Wheel is getting five for 118, getting Bumgarner, who's won a couple of World Series for you, and it's great posting the pitcher, five for 85 is like a steal. Yeah, I, you know, listen, I like we said, we, we both thought it was going to be over 100 for sure for his services based off his track record alone. Uh, you know, it seems like the Diamondbacks got a bargain, and, you know, good for them for making that contract signing. Yeah, and well, before we get to the rainy free agents, obviously the big thing now is probably the trade market because there's a lot of big names that are on it. I mean, we heard of the Mookie Betts rumors. We've heard Carlos Correa linked to the Mets in the past. We've heard about Chris Bryant, Nolan Arenado, and Francisco Lindor all being on the block. Do you think any of them actually get moved? I think it's just posturing at this point. So, you know, those specific names you mentioned, I mean, I could see – uh, Correa and Arenado stink, but I just feel like they mean too much to their current organizations for them to, to really move on from them. Lindor has been a hot name. I mean, the Padres have been interested in him and pushing hard for him, which would make their infield absolutely insane. But they're, you know, it looks like they're trying to make moves like that. The Dodgers, too, have been linked to him. Uh, I could kind of see him staying, uh, staying put in Cleveland specifically because they did trade Kluber. They shed a good amount of salary, so it should be something they could they could hang out to him at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, that brings us to Mookie and, excuse me, Chris Bryant. Mookie Betts. Uh, I mean, it looks like they're not the Red Sox are not going to resign him, so they have to trade him and get something from him. I feel like he's going to open the season with them, and he could be a mid-year candidate to be traded. Um, leaving us with Chris Bryant, I think Bryant is the most logical to be traded. We know the Nationals are interested in him. There was reason why they weren't uh, as you know. Once they let, let's just say once they pivoted away from Rendon, uh, they they set their sights on Chris Bryant. They have the necessary prospects to make a deal. Uh, whether they could do that or not, it remains to be seen. But I think he could be a real option there. The Rangers, as we mentioned, new ballpark, looking to make a splash. Missed out on Rendon. He could be of interest there. Dodgers have the pieces to get him. The Braves have the pieces to get him. Even somebody like the Phillies, who could take on maybe like Jason Hayward's salary and provide them with some salary relief to give up less of a package back. Um, I think there are a lot of suitors out there for Bryant. He's young. He's arguably the best player on the Cubs. Uh, and it's interesting to me that they want to trade him regardless. So um, he's a name that I'm going to be watching. I think he has the highest likelihood to be moved. Yeah, I would agree with your assessment on those guys. The best thing intrigues me. I feel like he's going to be like a fascinating like, in, like July 31st trade deadline candidate. And like considering, the like I said, with the Mets, with the Cohen money lurking, I – I would not be shocked if they try to make an in-season move for him if they have the luxury tax flexibility because he could be a guy who could put them over the top, and then they might 
if knowing Cohen's money is coming for the next offseason, they could make a bid to re-sign him afterwards. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that, that's really it, – it's with Cohen as the X factor. I mean, he's the guy who will be able to, you know, give out these long-term big-money contracts. And if he can do that and if he's willing to part with the money, which all accounts seem like he would be, I mean, the Mets are going to be a team to watch for because they have, they, they, they have the pitching staff in, in place. They have so many good young players up and down their lineup. Obviously, Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, Michael Conforto. You could add in Brendan Nimmo. Uh, you know, they have a lot of pieces there. So they're going to be a team to watch moving forward. Yeah, for sure. And let's wrap up with the free agent class. Obviously, we'll take Josh Donaldson off the board. I feel like he's the biggest impact guy left on either side of the ball. But, like, who are some other guys you feel like could have, like, big impacts for their new teams when they sign? I think, you know, you, you look at Ryu, pitchers, and, and Keiko, those, those two guys are still going to get some good money deals. But one name that I see that hasn't gotten a lot of traction to me anyway is Nicholas Castellanos. He split last year with the Tigers and the Cubs. Uh, after he got traded to the Cubs, hit 321, had a 356 on base percentage, flashed some power. Um, you know, he's somebody, you know, his defense leaves a lot to be desired, but he's still young. He could, he could uh, pretty much be put on any type of team. Put him on a contending team, he could be a middle-of-the-order bat. A rebuilding team could take him on and maybe trade, get some value at him at the trade deadline if they want to let him go. A uh, team on the rise could kind of plug him in and make him one of the cornerstone talents on their team. So I think he's somebody who's flying under the radar right now and could definitely help you know, a, a number of teams. I'd say over a dozen of them he could, he could be of help. So he's somebody I'm watching going forward. Yeah, the one to me you jumped out, you said him, was just like if they can ever make the money work, is like I feel like he'd be like a great fit in the middle of Tampa's lineup. Yo, yeah, I mean, he. I, I could see him, you know, Tampa would be great. I could see him on the Reds. He could be an option. Even on a team like the Dodgers, they could try and fit him in, or the Giants who are, uh, you know, trying to rebuild their franchise. There's so many different areas where, you know, he, he could fit in. Like I said before, rebuilding team, up-and-coming team, contender. You could kind of place him on any one of those, those types of teams, and, and he could be a fit. So I, I think he's somebody who's flying under the radar right now. I think he would be a great fit on a number of teams and somebody I'm really – curious to see what kind of contract he gets all right dan thanks for all the time i really appreciate it before i let you go do you want everybody know how to follow you on social media and some of the stuff you're up to yeah man you could just everybody could just follow me on uh, uh at dan j federico on twitter i'm always reporting different things on there still writing at bronx the bushville so you can find my work on there and yeah i'm just pretty much active on both of those platforms all right dan thanks again i really appreciate it all right mike thanks you too man have a happy holidays all right, and there you have it. You have Dan Federico talking about the winter meeting. Some interesting stuff there from Dan. Up next, show me the money. NFL picks for week 16 with Alice Asano right after this. Show me the money. All right, we are back. Show me the money. NFL picks for week 16. I can't believe the season's almost over. We could not get through the NFL season without touching base this guy again. My good friend Alex Fasano is here to do the picks. Alex, welcome. How are you? I'm doing good, Mike. Thanks for having me. No problem. It's nice to have you back towards the end of the season like we did last year. It feels a little bit like deja vu. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. It feels like we were just uh, going up and down the stairs of Murphy together, uh, going to class. Crazy. It is crazy, and it's been a crazy year for your Steelers, man. They've had a lot of interesting stuff happen, including the game against the Bills Sunday night. They lose that game because the Bills defense puts on a show. What was your big takeaway from that game? I mean, uh, going into it, I knew it was going to be a battle of two great defenses, and it was essentially coming down to, and they were saying it on the broadcast all night, it was who was going to make the most mistakes, and it ended up being Pittsburgh. You know, a couple more turnovers than the Bills had. I mean, both teams had turnovers, but... Steelers uh, got rid of the ball a couple more times than they would have liked. And uh, it was a battle between Josh Allen and, and Devlin Hodges. And uh, I think we all know uh, who was going to win that battle uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, not great for the Steelers, who now they have lost their wiggle room. They have to win both of their games coming up. But before we get to that, let's talk a little Mike Tomlin. Because if you if I told you at the beginning of the year that you're not going to have Ben for most of the whole season... James Conner is going to miss a large stretch of games, and Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be out for at least a month with a knee injury, and they would still be in control of their destiny for the playoffs. How amazed would you have been with the job Tomlin's doing? Yeah, I mean, uh, he has my vote for uh, for Coach of the Year. I mean, for what the, they've been going through, whether it was during the offseason with Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, that whole drama, 
um, and, and then then going down uh, early in the season, they shouldn't even be near the postseason. Uh, and for, the, for them to even hold the sixth seed as we speak, uh, it, it's really incredible. It's a lot of credit to the coaching staff, a lot of credit to the defense, too, stepping up that young defensive uh, front that they have. Um, so credit to Tomlin. He, he should be coach of the year. I don't know if he'll get it. You know, um, maybe Shanahan or, or, or Harbaugh. Um, but uh, I, I highly uh, recommend uh, Tomlin for coach of the year. He definitely deserves it. I'm with you right there, man. I mean, those guys have had their entire teams healthy. They've done great things, but what Tomlin's had to overcome, I think just makes him the clear choice for me to win coach of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, he, again, for, the, for them, they were working with their fourth, technically fourth string because they did trade away Joshua Dobbs, who was one of their backups um, early in the season. So they're working with their fourth string quarterback. Juju Smith-Schuster hasn't played in four weeks. I mean, they're working with practice squad players here, and they're still going to end the year on a winning winning record. So, I mean, it was very, very much credit to us uh, at Coach Tomlin. Yes, he does. And they have a chance to control their own destiny. This week, interesting matchup here. They go to MetLife Stadium to take on the Jets. The Jets are out of it, but they do have former Steeler Le'Veon Bell who's had a down year. You know he's had this game circle on his calendar since he signed with the Jets, and he wants revenge, so... What's the big concern for the Steelers going into this game? Well, uh, it definitely is Le'Veon Bell. Um, I know uh, the Steelers are, are pretty solid enough against the run, but you know it's going to be different with Le'Veon Bell because anytime he's on the field, the game script changes. Um, but I know it's on both sides of the ball. Le'Veon Bell, you're right. He's going to want to take it to his old team and really stick it to them. question is if Coach Gates is going to actually utilize him and run him into the ground like he actually should. Because he, you know, he's one of the best weapons on that offense, and he hasn't utilized it all season, as we've clearly seen. But I hope, uh, for the sake of Bell, you know, as a Steelers fan, I can't believe I'm rooting for him, but I want to see Bell succeed. I'm actually going to be rocking uh, a Steeler Le'Veon Bell jersey uh, when I will be there in the stands at MetLife, which is I'm really excited for. Um, but it's definitely a concern. They want to keep him contained and don't let him dance around and use his patience uh, against them. I mean, they've worked with him. Uh, most of this offensive line has worked with him uh, over the years, so they should potentially have an advantage against that. They know what his style is. They know how he can move. So um, it's going to be a great battle between uh, the defense of the defensive front of Pittsburgh and Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, and you're not going to be the only Steeler fan there. That's going to be a verifiable like Pittsburgh North on on Sunday afternoon because the Jeff fans not going to this game at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean we Steelers fans, Steeler Nation, they're some of the best fans. Uh, across the country. We saw them invade Los Angeles, for, for God's sake, uh, when they played the Chargers. Um, they, they invaded Arizona against the Cardinals. It's crazy. Steeler Nation travels a lot. Credit to uh, all the fans there. It's going to be really, really uh, wild at MetLife Stadium on Sunday. It will be. Let's get to the pick is the reason you're here. Uh, Kevin Walsh Jr. was actually here last week. He did some picks. He went 2-1 and one on the week. He had... The Pats laying a nine and a half against the Bengals. They won that game running away. He had the Texans laying the three against the Titans. They won that one. And he had he did lose with the Rams, getting a point point and a half against the Cowboys, and that one did not go very well. No, it did not. Uh, the Cowboys really uh, were they were tired, I guess, of being uh, pushed around, and now uh, people were doubting them and uh, whether or not they were a real playoff contender. So uh, that's all Jason Garrett and Dak Prescott and all them over in uh, Dallas and Jerry World. Uh, uh, domination over the Rams. So uh, good good picks by Kevin. Yeah, Kevin has some good picks. I only went one and two last week. The one I got right, I had the Vikings laying a two and a half in Los Angeles against the Chargers. They blew them out of the water. That was nice. I went against Kevin. with I took the Titans laying the, getting, laying the three points at home against the Texans. That did not work out for me. And... I had the 49ers laying 11 points against the Card- against the Falcons, and they somehow lost that game outright. So not a good week for me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the nature of the uh, the sport, you know, sports betting and wagering, and uh, it's, it's 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 a fickle business. But um, you know that that Falcons game, what a what a unbelievable job Atlanta did uh, containing uh, San Francisco. So that's that's a tough beat. That's a bad beat right there. It is a bad beat, and Atlanta's just a bad beat as a team because they beat some of the best teams in the league, and then they just are five and nine and nowhere near the playoffs. Yeah, it's really crazy. Uh, but there's uh, still a couple more weeks left. It's time to bounce back, you know? Yeah, let's to reset the pick challenge on the year. The challengers are just 20, 24, and 1, so not a good year for them. I'm 25 and 20, so four and a half game lead, a couple of weeks to go. So we'll see how this goes. Alex, you were on the clock first with your pick, so where are you going to go with pick number one? 
Um, I'm going to start with, uh, it's a pretty big number, um, but it's going to be uh, the Ravens are 10-point favorites on the road in Cleveland. Now, uh, as a Steelers fan, I know the AFC North pretty well, and all these divisional matchups are good ones. Uh, it's really, really exciting to see uh, Lamar Jackson on the field. Um, so I'm going to go with the Ravens here uh, with this huge point. The ten, ten and a half, uh, ten and a half, ten points favorite. Excuse me. It's bouncing around ten and a half. I saw it at ten and a half uh, earlier in the week, but we got them at ten here. Uh, the Ravens are currently nine and two against the spread in their last eleven games at Cleveland. Uh, I mean, it's it's crazy to see Baltimore do that against a divisional opponent. Um, also, if they win this game against Cleveland, they get home field advantage throughout the playoffs, which would be a huge bonus for them, especially if they have to see New England again. Um, but I think the Ravens are really going to play their hearts out. They remember the last game they played Cleveland this season, too. I think it was a 40-27 to victory in favor of the Browns. So uh, Lamar Jackson is going to prove once again this week how he is the MVP, no question about it. He's going to help everybody's fantasy teams as well, mine included. Uh, and um, I think it's going to be a total beatdown, Baltimore over Cleveland, and I'm going to take all the 10 points that uh, Baltimore's laying here. I love that pick. I think the Browns is done. I think they're, they're, I know they have a 1% chance to get to the playoffs, but I feel like that team was quick. They went to Arizona, were awful last week. They're going to get run out of the building by the Ravens. So let's go to pick two for you. Where are you going next? So for the second pick, I'm going to do uh, – it's, it's basically a pick them here. I'm looking at it. I saw it earlier in the week. Cincinnati and Miami. Uh, the game is in Miami for the Dolphins. They are the home team, and it was dancing around a pick them. Uh, in favor of the Dolphins, it was at minus one. But now I'm looking at it, and it seems that the betters are switched. Uh, switch the line, and it looks like it's going to Cincinnati as the uh, minus one favorite. So it's still a pick them, but now it's in favor of the Bengals. I, however, am going to stick with the Dolphins. Uh, Coach Brian Flores is uh, trying to salvage this team here. I mean, obviously, they're out of playoff contention and have been for some time. But we see Ryan Fitzpatrick every week put points on the board. Uh, the Dolphins are 7-3 and three against the spread in their last 10 games, um, following an 0-4 start straight up and against the spread. So they really bounced back uh, later into the season. We saw a huge upset uh, against the Eagles, uh, you know, a couple weeks back when they were 10.5-point underdogs. So uh, Miami's a great team uh, against this Bengals team. You know, we really got nothing much to work with. Sandy Dalton, A.J. Green doesn't even think he's going to play another down for this team. Uh, so with the pick uh it's, it's Miami as an underdog, but I'm going to stick with the better team here. Devontae Parker just had a contract extension. He's happy. Uh, so I'm going to go with the, uh, the Dolphins here as a pick dog. You're a brave man going to that football game. I would not touch it at all. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, you got two bottom-feeding teams going at it. But, you know, uh, they, they got nothing to play for and they got nothing to lose. So uh, what's, what's wrong with seeing, you know, a nice uh, 24-17 game or a nice 31-17 you know, beatdown? Uh, Miami takes it at home, you know? Who knows? I, I like the Dolphins in that though. That's fair. Let's go to your last pick. Where are you going to pick three? All right, pick number three. Uh, I'm going to uh, – it's another big one. Um it's going to be the Seattle Seahawks and the Arizona Cardinals. Seahawks are, I'm looking at it now, it's actually nine and a half uh, favorites at home. Um, but I'm going to take the Cardinals as a huge underdog, and here's why. Uh, Arizona has a record of four, nine, and one. However, they are six, three, and one against the spread in their last 10 games. We saw uh, the Cardinals, I think it was almost 300 yards of offense in the first half against uh, the Browns, ironically enough. And they ended up winning that game. Kenyon uh, Drake had, I think, four touchdowns. It was a great game for, uh, for Arizona. Um, and here's a big, big, big note you want to keep in mind. The Cardinals have been very tough opponents on the road in the division. They're 11-3-1 against the spread in their last 15 games when visiting an NFC West opponent. So it's unbelievable how they play on the road against these divisional uh, matchups. It's also including four straight covers in CenturyLink Field. So uh, I think Arizona, you know, they always play the games against Seattle. You know it's a divisional matchup, so their both teams are going to be playing hard. Seattle's banged up on defense as well. I know Bobby Wagner's missing a couple days of practice. Um, uh, Davion Clowney, I think, was out of practice as well this week. So 
It's another big number, much like the Ravens and the Browns, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the underdog here with the Cardinals. Huge underdogs in this matchup. Good, good logic there. I like the pick. I think it's interesting. Let's go to mine right now. We're going to pick number one for me. I am going to take an underdog here. I'm going to take the Raiders getting six and a half points in Los Angeles against the Chargers. And my strategy with the Chargers this year is I don't trust them. I don't like them as a team. I think they're getting way too much confidence in a game between two teams that are done. The Raiders are a better record than them. I know Josh Jacobs is not playing in this game, but the Raiders, I think, are more motivated team to play well down the stretch. I think the Chargers packed it in, as we saw against the Vikings last week. Give me all six and a half points with the Raiders there. Give me the Raiders pick one. Yeah, I, I actually kind of like that. Um, you know, Oakland's definitely embarrassed about losing their last home game ever in Oakland last week. That was a terrible against the Jaguars. Rough, uh, tough call, too, on the refs uh, with the Derek Carr slide. Um, but I like this pick because you're right. Uh, the Raiders are going to play hard. Um, I'm just a little skeptical about Josh Jacobs. I think uh, the rookie is going to miss this matchup. So DeAndre Washington, the backup running back, will go under uh, uh, the offense here. And it is in Los Angeles, but Oakland's in California, too. And I think they're going to invade um, the Coliseum or wherever they play in Los Angeles. I don't even know. I think it's Rocket Field or whatever the case may be. Um, I, I like the pick. It's a lot. It's a big number. Uh, I can see it being a close game. Uh, it's a divisional matchup, so they're both going to play uh, tight. Uh, and I think I think it's a good bet there with the Raiders. All right, that's pick number one for me. Pick number two, I'm sticking in the division. I'm taking the Chiefs, laying six points in Chicago on Sunday night against the Bears. And this is one to me. I just don't think the Bears are going to show up for this game because they're out of the playoffs. They have nothing to play for. The Chiefs have everything to play for. They still have an outside shot. They get a first-round bye. They have a head-to-head -head on the Patriot tiebreaker. And the Chiefs defense has been playing a lot better of late. We saw them dominate Denver in the snow last week. I think they're going to give Mitchell Trubisky and company a lot of problems. It's a, a touchdown win for me. I think I'm getting it. I'm laying the six with the Chiefs pick two. I like it there, too. Um, but you mentioned that Kansas City has everything to play for and Chicago doesn't. And to that point, the most dangerous teams in any sport are the ones that have nothing to play for. I mean, Mitch Trubisky's been taking a lot of heat all season about he can't do it. He doesn't have it. Are they going to trade him out and put Cam Newton in Chicago and what the case may be? So... I could potentially see Chicago just swinging it at home. Maybe it snows a little bit, and uh, the fans would love to see, you know, Chicago take down a huge AFC uh, opponent in Kansas City, try to stun their playoff hopes. But you're absolutely right. The defense, Kansas City's been playing a lot better. Tyreek Hill staying healthy. Um, can't say that for their uh, running back, Damian Williams, but they got a good core in LaShawn McCoy and Darwin Thompson. Uh, Travis Kelsey is, is dominating, so uh, I like it there, too. Kansas City... Uh, on the road, I think they can get it done. All right, let's pick two. Pick number three for me. I'm going with another road team. I took three road teams this week. I'm taking the Saints, laying two and a half in Tennessee against the Titans. And coming off the performance on Monday night, we saw the record being set by Drew Brees for the career touchdown passes. That's the best the Saints have looked in a long time. The offense, defense, special teams all came together in that game. And I think they keep the momentum going in Tennessee against the Titans. I know Tennessee needs the football game, but the Saints also are going for home field in the NFC. They're a vastly superior team. I think that they're going to get the job done here. I, the Saints have been very good to me this year, so I'll ride them one more time. Give me the Saints with the two, laying the two and a half points in Tennessee. Pick three. It's, it's a tough one. I think you're on the right end of it. Um, you're absolutely right. The Saints are a much better team. Uh, they're playing for home field advantage. Uh, um, I, we know Michael Thomas is going to want that record. Uh, he's chasing Marvin Harrison, so um, they're definitely probably going to feed him the ball another ten times like they always do. Um, I'm nervous, though, because I'm looking at the total here, and it says 50 and a half. That's a pretty high total. I think it might actually be the highest on the board so far. Um, so I'm excited, And I agree with it. I think it's going to be a shootout. A.J. Brown, the young stud, is coming into his own. Ryan Tannehill is probably pissed off about uh, stumbling last week against Houston and could potentially taking control of the division. Um, Tennessee's not out of it yet, though. They're right behind Pittsburgh in the playoff race. I, they're still going to play hard. Tannehill is still a great quarterback. Um, I know Derrick Henry's a little banged up, but we'll see what happens. Um, but I think uh, it's going to be a great um, matchup. And I think, uh, yeah, I think you're on the right side of it. Uh, the Saints a uh, much better team. Michael Thomas is going to dominate Drew Brees. He's the king of quarterbacks. And, uh, yeah, I think you're on the right side. It's going to be a close game, but a field goal looks like uh, the difference. All right, to reset the picks for Week 16, Alex has gone with the Ravens laying 10 points at home against the, and Cleveland against the Browns, excuse me. He has the Cardinals getting nine and a half points in Seattle against the Seahawks. 
and the Dolphins getting a point at home against the Bengals in the Joe Burrow Bowl. I went with the Oakland Raiders getting six and a half in Los Angeles against the Chargers. I went with the Kansas City Chiefs laying six in Chicago against the Bears on Sunday Night Football. And I went with the Saints laying two and a half points in New Orleans again. I mean, in Tennessee against the Titans. And next week, week 17, it's going to be on the holiday special. So a double dose of guests on the pick second next week. I'm going to be joined by Sean Rowe and Tom Bocchino, my friends from the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. We're going to have a pick a palooza on the holiday special next week. Sounds You're like good. a lot of fun. Yeah. You guys got a lot. You got you got a lot of picks there, Mike. Uh, you've been doing a great job with the podcast, and uh, you always always deliver very 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 well done. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. And before I let you go, I know we talked fantasy football back at the beginning of the season. You said you were managing eight teams this year. How many of them got to the playoffs, and are any of them playing for the title this week? No, I'm a little embarrassed about that, Mike. Uh, but uh, out of my eight teams, uh, I had two in the playoffs, um, one of which uh, is actually in the championship this week, uh, riding Lamar Jackson, hoping for, for a big game from him. Uh, my second playoff team is in the championship, but it's not a money league, so I'm not too uh, excited about it. I mean, I'm happy that I'm, that I'm in it. But, uh, you know, so two out of eight have made it to the chip, and uh, the other six didn't even miss the playoffs. So, um, you know, not a good fantasy year for me per se, but we'll see what happens after this Sunday. Uh, maybe I still come out a winner. Yeah, I had two this year. I both made the playoffs. One I lost in the first round by .14, which stunk, and it was miserable. The second one, I'm actually in the title game this week. I am playing on Sunday, and since I have you on the line, I want to ask you to help me pick my last wide receiver for that league. Oh, that's, that's a lot of pressure on me, Mike. <laughs> I hope I can help, but uh, all, right, all right, what do you got? All right, I got three options I'm deciding between. Do I start Hollywood Brown in Cleveland against the Browns? Do I start Greg Ward against the Cowboys or Larry Fitz in Seattle against the Seahawks? I'm actually uh, riding Larry Fitz myself in a couple places. Um, Hollywood Brown is um, what I'm leaning toward just because, again, it's uh, Lamar Jackson's going to want to showcase his stuff. They want to secure that number one seed. Uh, he's currently ranked wide receiver 36 on Fantasy Pros. You um, said Larry Fitz, Hollywood Brown, and who was the other one? Greg Ward, right? Yes. Greg Ward, Philly against, uh, oh boy. Uh, I, I think I'm going to go uh, Hollywood Brown. I'm going to ride uh, what's hot. That's Lamar Jackson. That's the Ravens. And, uh, you know, again, it's a divisional matchup. I'm sure uh, Hollywood Brown would love to showcase his stuff in the end zone. Uh, maybe get a nice uh, deep ball touchdown. You know, you never know. But I, I think I'm going to lean with Hollywood. All right. Thanks a lot, Alex. Before I let you go, do you want to let everybody know how to follow you on social media and some of the stuff you're up to? Uh, yeah. I mean, you can follow me uh, at Alex Fazano, F-A-Z-A-N-O. Um, you can follow all of um, the work I do over at SportsGrid uh, TV Network, at SportsGrid on Twitter and all social media platforms. Uh, we do a lot of sports betting content a lot of fantasy content um so uh yeah check us out and uh, feel free to listen uh and watch on pluto tv zumo tv and youtube and all uh, all social media platforms uh, and that's about it mike i want to thank you for uh, for having me all right happy holidays my friend happy holidays mike all right that was alex fasano with your week 16 nfl picks up next this week's two minute drill we'll talk about the issues mlb and the minor leagues are having with negotiating a new professional bargaining agreement. I'll be joined by our legal correspondent, Phil Frietta, right after this. All right, we are back with this week's two-minute drill. It's time to talk a little more legal stuff. MLB and the minor leagues have some issues going on, and I'm happy to have on the line our legal correspondent, Phil Frietta. Phil, welcome. How are you? Good, Mike. Uh, good to be back. I feel like I'm feel like I'm on every week now. Yeah, there's stuff going on every week in the legal world now, so I guess it's a good thing we have you on hold. Yeah, there's uh, there's been a lot going on, uh, and I guess that's that's pretty common over the winter when things start to slow down. Yeah, it is. So. Right now, there's some issues going on with MLB and the minor leagues over a contraction plan. The minors are not happy about it. I got you on here for some of the legal aspects. Can you explain the legal working relationship between the two entities? Sure. So 
the the way that it works is that uh, minor league baseball is kind of its own entity, and it has a partnership with Major League Baseball, whereby uh, it participates as the farm system for Major League Baseball teams, and that's how you you know you know all the prospects down in the minor leagues for your own team, and they get traded and stuff like that. But if you take a step back and think about it, there's there's really no other industry where that's going to work you know if you're uh to use an analogy if you're an accountant at some smaller accounting firm and a big accounting firm wants to hire you the you know the you can go wherever you want uh but as a minor league player your contract is owned by the major league team and that's because of the partnership that the two have with each other and that's how each major league team is allowed to have their own minor league affiliate Okay, so that makes some sense. Right now, there's about 160 minor league teams across the country. MLB wants to eliminate 42 of them right now as part of their new negotiating agreement. It's supposed to be like a ten over a 10-year period. Can you explain what some of the issues the MLB has of why they want to get rid of these teams? Yeah, the the biggest issue is profitability. They're they're just they're not profitable. Uh, they they and you know the minor leagues are oversaturated. So years ago, when if you talk to Anybody from an older generation, they'll tell you about uh, a a ball, double A, triple A, and that used to be it. But that's not the case anymore. There are there's still double A and triple A, but if you go down to the minor leagues, there's advanced A ball, there's regular A ball, there's short season A ball, there's rookie Gulf Coast ball, and so on and so forth. So there's all these minor league teams, and I think Major League Baseball's position is just we don't need all these prospects down there. Most of these guys are never going to make it. So why why do we keep these partnerships? It's not profitable for us. Yeah, I think the big issues I've read are that the there are some substandard facilities. Some of these places there are issues of how much you have to pay these guys. Remember, minor leaguers are exempt from the minimum wage rules as MLB lobby a couple of years ago, and the fact that they are talking about scheduling being a problem with terms of travel. So. Do you think all those things are like a collectively bargain issue? Give the league like a right to say, you know what, our next time we want to get rid of these, we're not meeting our standards. Yeah, yes, exactly. That's that's exactly it. it it's that's what I mean by profitability. It's too, it's too costly for the league to keep this up. Uh, to, they're going to rebuild stadiums for some single A teams, and then then you got the players. Players in minor league baseball get paid very poorly, uh, and I'm sure that they're going to try and change that. The travel can be costly. Uh, because as the minor leagues expand, so too does the travel. You can't just go on the bus everywhere anymore. So, so all those things become costly for Major League Baseball, and they and they don't really see much of a benefit from it because they don't need all these different levels of minor league ball. Yeah, they don't. And the MLI, the minor league owners have come out and blasted Major League Baseball with this proposal. We've had a bunch of responses. In terms of like them saying the league is not be operating in good faith with the bargaining, they're just raising issues that some of the Phillies don't have. Are you surprised at how much has gotten public from this dispute? Not really, uh, because that's that's a it's a good thing to negotiate in the public if you're on the side of the minor league owners, because you don't have much of a leg to stand on as far as offering Major League Baseball a legitimate business reason why they'd want to continue the partnership but what you can do is you can go out to the public and you have the good PR on your side uh, minor league baseball teams in a lot of smaller cities across the country they they're a big part of the economy of the local economy so the local politicians don't want to lose the team the owners obviously don't want to lose the teams because they find them they make money on the teams and the the players they want they want to keep trying to play towards their dream of you know, making Major League Baseball. So so they have a lot of good PR on their side, and uh, they, they're they using it by negotiating in the public. Yeah, that makes sense. And we've seen, you mentioned some local politicians getting involved. We've seen senators like Bernie Sanders get in the mix for that, say they want to make sure this doesn't happen. So what can the senators do to impact these negotiations? Sure, and I've alluded to this on some previous podcasts that I've done with you, but uh, Major League Baseball is currently exempt from America's antitrust laws, and that dates back to a decision by the United States Supreme Court from the uh, early 1900s, where the Supreme Court, and if you read it, it's uh, it's quite the decision. Basically, the Supreme Court decided that baseball is too 
ingrained with America to subject it to the antitrust rules. So it's exempt. There's no solid legal reasoning for it. Uh, the, the opinion actually starts with a list of Hall of Fame players like Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb and how important they are to America. So, uh, so that, that's the law, and it's remained the law all the way through today. So what Bernie Sanders can do and what he threatened to do is Congress can pass a law saying, well, Major League Baseball, the Supreme Court got that wrong. They are covered by our antitrust laws. And if they did that, it would be a big, big problem for baseball because it could force them to restructure the way that they do these minor league contracts as well as uh, open them to competition from other leagues. And more importantly, the big advantage that Major League Baseball has now is they can limit the participants in their uh, in their organization to 30 teams. If they lose that antitrust exemption, they're going to have a hard time limiting that if somebody else challenges or if a team wants to move. Uh, so baseball has the ability to say to the Oakland A's, you're staying in Oakland. If the Oakland A's say, you know what, we're not subject to antitrust anymore, we're moving, there's, there's really not much that uh, Major League Baseball will be able to do if they're subject to antitrust. So it's a, it's a threat that Congress has, and uh, it can carry a substantial penalty to Major League Baseball. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of nuclear options here, including one from Rob Manfred, who's already threatened in the response to minor league baseball's like press release. He basically said, you know what, there's a case where we don't need the minor leagues entirely. We can just start up our own thing and have new affiliates come in, independent league teams come in, take minor league spots. So what would happen if LB actually followed through with that? That would be, uh, you know, a big land landscape change but yes that's certainly possible so take a team like the long island ducks which uh a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with the long island ducks that's an independent league team they're not affiliated with the minor leagues i'm sure they would love to be a minor league affiliate to say the mets uh given that their proximity to queens and i'm sure the mets would love to have a triple a team on long island so they can shuffle release pitches back and forth uh so yeah Major League Baseball could say, okay, we're going to shut down the minor leagues, uh, Long Island Ducks. Do you guys want to be the Mets affiliate? Absolutely. And then the Long Island Ducks and the Mets would have a partnership. And uh, it, it, it's a big problem for, for the minor league teams because there are enough independent teams out there that you could probably make that work for uh, a lot of different scenarios. Yeah, there is a lot of teams out there. I know I've worked for a couple. I've seen that. So if you were to make a prediction, what do you think is ultimately end up happening with this thing? I think the PR is too bad for Major League Baseball to just shut down the minor leagues completely. I think they'll reach some sort of a compromise where they contract some of the teams, but not all. And they keep the majority of them and they keep going forward in the partnership. But I just think it's it's too risky to have for Major League Baseball to have that kind of PR, especially with this is a one of those rare bipartisan issues in Congress. Uh, you have Republicans and Democrats who are expressing outrage about this because these, like I said, these minor league teams are important to local communities, and the politicians don't want to see them go. So, I, so I think baseball and will feel that pressure. Major League Baseball, I should say, and they'll come to some sort of an agreement, and this won't won't be an issue. All right, we'll keep a pin on this. Phil, thanks for taking the time to call in, lay in on the legal perspective of this. It'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely worth keeping keeping an eye on, though. Uh, you know, a lot of what's out there is what both sides want to leak out there. So who knows what's going on in the real negotiating room. All right, Phil, thanks again. I really appreciate it. All right, thanks. Have a good one, Mike. All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guests, Dan Federico for calling in to talk all about the winter meetings and all the happenings there for the Yankees, the Mets, and beyond. I also want to thank Alex Fasano for taking the time to call in and do the NFL picks for Week 16. And for our legal correspondent, Phil Fred, who took a few minutes out of his day to discuss the ongoing difficulties in negotiations between Major League and Minor League Baseball about a new agreement that will involve potentially contracting 42 Minor League affiliates. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at what could have been the perfect send-off for Eli Manning with the Giants on Sunday, check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. 
You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Simply search for Just and the Suffering on any of those platforms. You can find all our episodes there, including our episode earlier this week with bonus coverage with John Stanko talking about the Watchmen season finale. Feel free with your feedback and star ratings as well. In order to make this podcast even better going forward, you can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. Tweet me with hashtag nonsense if you made it to the end of this week's show. Again, hashtag nonsense if you made it to the end of this week's show. Coming up next, we have another bonus entertainment podcast coming up. Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker is coming out this weekend. I have a two-part episode. A couple of different aspects of the episode coming for you. I spoke with Pete Considori a while back to recap episode 8, talk about the series in general, preview episode 9. I'll also be chatting with John Stanko again. So the second time in a week you're getting Stanko, guys. You're welcome. We will also talk about the movie. We'll recap it in full spoiler fashion. We will also break down where the franchise could go from here. Talk about Mandalorian, all that good stuff. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Bears fans. Yeah. Yeah.